Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God that contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Welcome to Know Your Bible. Happy to have you with us today as we study the Bible with you. And the way we do that here on Know Your Bible is we answer questions. I know that's a little different than most religious TV programs. Uh, most of them tell you what they think you ought to know or should know. Uh, we ask you what you'd like to know. So that's the way we operate. We've got a phone number and a website at the bottom of the screen. Uh, use those any time to get in touch with us and tell us what you wonder about the Bible. Maybe it's a specific verse and maybe it's a general theme or a doctrine that you wonder about. Uh, maybe it's something going on in your life and you wonder what the Bible would counsel you on that. Uh, we'll try to find a biblical answer to any of those things. So use phone number, website, get in touch with us, and that's what we'll do for the next 30 minutes is answer as many questions as we can get to. Uh, I'm Steve Tandy. I'll answer some of them, but the main team is over here, Toby Levering and Jeff Martin. Good morning, guys. Good morning, morning Steve. Glad you're here and ready to go, and we've got some good ones coming up, but our viewers always get the first crack. So here's your trivia question of the day. Uh, fill in the blank here on this Bible verse. A good what is better than precious ointment? I'll give you a multiple choice. A good wife, a good name, or a good friend? Uh, what is better than precious ointment? And we'll give you the verse and the answer at the end of the program. See if you know a little bit of Bible. Oh, looks like I drew the first one today. So let's get going here. The viewer says, does it say something in the Bible? about speaking in tongues being for non-believers. Well, it actually does. Good good call here, viewer. Uh, but first, let's explain what speaking in tongues is. That has kind of a mysterious connotation these days. Uh, in Bible times, in the first century, when it happened, uh, it was very understandable. It was People wouldn't have said speaking in tongues. They would say uh, speaking in other languages. Uh, that's what tongues were. And, well, that's what still tongues are. He speaks a different tongue than I do. Uh, it's just a language. And in the first century, starting on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit empowered the apostles to be able to speak in languages that they didn't know. Uh, you read Acts chapter 1 and 2 there, and you'll see that there were people from all over the world that had come to Pentecost. They all spoke different languages. And so when 12 men wanted to preach the gospel to them, they were able to do that. They could speak in those languages that the people understood. In fact, the Bible says that. People looked at each other and said, we hear in our own language. So <clears throat> it impressed people. It showed people that these guys were working for God. Is basically what speaking in other languages did. Uh, so as the church got started there in the first century, that's the way things went. When a missionary like Paul went to a different country, uh, he could speak their language. In fact, Paul himself said, I speak in languages more than all of you. 
because he went to a whole bunch of different countries. Uh, it was designed to convince non-believers that you worked for God and be able to give them the message of the gospel. So in 1 Corinthians, Paul writes about the church there speaking in other languages, and he corrects them. He gets on them because they're misusing uh, the gift that some of them had to speak in other languages. Uh, they were basically entertaining each other with it. They were having a, a show of their spiritual gifts uh, during church and making a big performance out of it. And Paul gave them a lot of reasons that they shouldn't do that. And one of them is in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 22, uh, which our viewer referred to. He says, tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. While preaching is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. So what he told the church was, you're doing all this speaking in other languages in church when there's just believers there. Well, that's not what it's for. Uh, speak, preach in a language everybody can understand and edify it, build the body up. That's what you do with believers. Uh, for unbelievers, you can speak in their language and that will let them hear the gospel and know that you're working for God. So it's a sign for unbelievers, but not for believers. So viewers right, the Bible does say that exactly. Uh, the gift of speaking in languages died out soon thereafter. Paul told them that was another reason they shouldn't be so excited about speaking in other languages because it was going to end. Uh, that gift was going to go away and it did cease. So, uh, yes, the Bible says that. Viewers absolutely correct. All right, we got another question about, I heard that the Bible says, I uh, heard that the Bible says it only takes two people to make a church. Is that true? Well, kind of. It's kind of true. <laughs> there, there is a verse that speaks about that, but it's often used a little bit out of context. It's found in Matthew chapter 18. And I'm going to read the context around it, and we'll look at the verses on the screen uh, that that refer to that directly. Jesus is talking about brothers sinning against one another. And he says, uh, you need to go to your brother. And if you don't, you know, if he refuses to listen, tell the church. And if he refuses to listen to the church, let him be as a Gentile or a tax collector. Whatever I, I truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Uh, and again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. And this is, let's bring this up on the screen. For where two or three are gathered to, in my name, there am I among them. So the context is really about this idea that as the church was beginning and growing, um, there, there was kind of the issue of authority and, you know, who says what's right and wrong. They didn't have a New Testament. They didn't have all of that written down as we do. So how were we going to determine what was right and wrong and, you know, handle these issues of sin? And, and Jesus basically is saying, you know, try to make it right interpersonally. If, if it's not going to work out, bring it to the church. And if there's two or three of you Speaking to the apostles, if two or three of you gathered together, uh, there I'm with you. Okay, so that's the idea. Now, some people kind of take this verse farther than I think it intends to go. You get a couple of guys who want to go fishing on Sunday morning instead of going to church. Say, well, you're a Christian. I'm a Christian. Let's, <laughs> you know, where two or three are together, there I am with them. You know, I, I kind of went to church. So 
This is one of those verses that can kind of be abused. Uh, the concept is that Jesus, uh, you know, the, the, the church can be gathered together uh, wherever they are, which is what's beautiful about the church. It's not, a, it's not a building. It's a body. It's a group of people. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, verses 12 and 14, uh, Paul writes, Just as the body is one and has many members, all the members uh, uh, of the body, though many, are one body. So it is with Christ, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. So uh, the, the, it does say about, you know, a church could technically could be just two people. I mean, there are churches that people that watch this program and watch live streaming and things that there's just two or three Christians they know of, no local church meeting. They meet in a home and uh, things like that. So that technically, you know, you could have two or three uh, people in church. Um, a church can be two, three people. It can be several thousand people. Uh, the point is not how many. It's uh, rather uh about why they're gathered together, why they've assembled together. And so uh, it could be two or three people, but uh, uh, the church is really just a body. So uh, that's where that verse is found. A little more explanation on the verse, and I hope that helps. All right, Jeff. Okay, I've got the next question. It's an important one. Is it true if you call someone a fool that you will be doomed to hell? Uh, pretty timely question because as our viewers know, we're in a time uh, in our world where calling each other fools seems to happen more and more often, especially on social, especially on social media and things like that. So let's start by reading the verse that I'm almost positive that this question came from, uh, which is Matthew 5 verse 22. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, Anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court, and anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. So this is one of those verses that if we take alone, uh, can cause a lot of fear and anxiety, because most of us have let words like that slip from our mouth from time to time. So we read this and we wonder, because I did this, am I in danger of the fires of hell? But as always, context is important. So this particular verse comes from the Sermon on the Mount. So let's look at some other verses and see exactly what Jesus is saying. Uh, in this verse, he's talking particularly about anger. And he starts back in verse 21 by recalling a very simple point from the old law, saying, you shall not murder. And then he takes that a step further and he says, not only shall you not murder, but you also shouldn't call someone a fool or you'll be in dangers of the fire of hell. And he goes on back and forth with several other different things. And it's the same thing each time. He recalls a simple concept from the old law, and then he takes it a step further. So, for instance, with lust, um, he says, not only should you not commit adultery, but you should not lust. He does the same things with divorce, oaths, with retaliation. And eventually he talks about loving your enemies. But each time he takes something simple from the old law... And he takes it one step further, saying that it's not just about these simple actions, what you do and don't do, but it's about your heart. Uh, and Jesus is teaching here that it's not just about the letter of the law. It's about your whole heart and your mind and the things that you think, not just the things that you do. So in the eyes of God, someone who carries murder and hate in their heart is just as guilty as 
as someone who commits that murder. Uh, now, obviously, the consequences on earth to those two things are much different, uh, but they both carry the same amount of guilt. So then, if we take it a step, uh, take another step back and look at the, the, the Bible as a whole, we see that grace covers many sins. We know that to be a cornerstone belief in Christianity, including uh, calling someone a fool. It's not something that we should do. We shouldn't carry hate in our heart. Uh, it's not something we should make a practice of doing, and it is sinful. But if you're in Christ, uh, it's forgiven. So you, you should not call someone a fool. You should not carry hate in your heart. Um, but that is something that is forgiven uh, when you're in Christ. All right, good explanation. Let me take just a moment to talk about studying the Bible with you, or actually you studying the Bible on your own or with some of your friends or family. Uh, we advocate home Bible study, and we've got some tools that we think will help you do that. If you'd like to get started in Bible study, here's the first set of lessons. You'll notice the first two there on the front, the Old Testament, the New Testament. That's where this course starts, is understanding the difference between those two big parts of your Bible. Then we've got some other courses that are a little bit longer and a little more detailed about certain topics in the Bible, so you can keep studying the Bible for quite a while with our tools. And we've also got an online course if you'd like to study through the Bible and some excellent courses and go on for a long time studying online. Uh, just log on to oneway.worldbibleschool.org and we'll get you started on some online courses. So use the phone number or website on our screen. Uh, tell us you'd like those print courses to come to you in the mail and it's absolutely free of charge. We even provide the postage for you uh, or you can study online at no charge too. So let us know what you'd like and uh, get started studying the Bible and know your Bible a little bit better. All right, I got a question about the eternal hell. Viewer wants to know, do you really believe in an eternal hell? And there are some people that just can't understand that. Uh, they say, well, it'll last for a little while, but God wouldn't punish everybody eternally. Uh, some believe that, no, that, that couldn't happen, that they'll just go into nothingness, there won't be eternal punishment, and all sorts of beliefs because people can't understand it. They just can't quite accept that there would be such a thing as eternal hell. So if you ever want to know, do you really believe that? Uh, and yes, our answer is yes, we really believe that. Uh, for one main reason, the Bible clearly says it. Uh, and we go by God's word. So let's just look at a couple of verses that settle the question for you. Uh, first one is in Matthew 25, verse 46. And Jesus said, these will go away into eternal punishment but the righteous into eternal life. And then the other one is in uh, Revelation chapter 20 and verse 10, and it tells about the end of time. It says, The devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are also, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So those and a number of other verses teach eternal punishment. Jesus taught it very clearly himself. Uh, so yes, we believe in eternal hell. Now, we believe that. Uh, understanding it is another matter. Uh, understanding it is hard, and I think it's hard for humans to understand eternal punishment. 
uh, for a couple of reasons. Number one, we cannot understand how holy God is. Uh, God is perfectly holy and cannot be in the presence of sin. Uh, we don't understand that because we're human and we've got flaws all around us, but God's perfectly holy. The other thing we don't understand as humans is how bad sin is in the sight of God. So if we understood those, how holy God is and how bad sin is in his sight, I think we could get closer to understanding the concept of eternal punishment. Now, as an example of that, uh, there was one fellow that we have the story of in the Bible that went to eternal punishment, went to the place of torment, it's called. Uh, that was the rich man in the parable in Luke chapter 16. I don't think it was a parable. I think it was a true story. Uh, but the rich man went to the place of torment. Now, if you read what, I, what he said, he didn't say, this isn't fair. He, he didn't say, how did I end up here? He didn't say, this can't be right. He didn't say, this is just, this is preposterous. Uh, I don't deserve this. He didn't say any of those things. He understood why he was there. So after death, I think we'll understand the holiness of God and the badness of sin. And this fellow, the rich man, understood it. All he wanted was, he said, can somebody go back and warn my brothers? Can somebody go back and tell them they don't want to come here? Uh, so he didn't question the fact of eternal punishment because I think he understood it in a different way than we do. So, yes, we believe in eternal hell. We believe the Bible clearly teaches that. Uh, understanding it is very difficult for humans, but I think we will understand uh, someday, and hopefully we understand from the heavenly perspective uh, of how great God is and uh, being in a place where there is no sin is going to be wonderful. So, yeah, we believe in it. All right, the next question is about uh, authority. Where does it say to respect authority and to obey the law? Well, we can find a pretty clear statement on this in Romans chapter 13, Paul's letter to the church at Rome. Uh, Romans chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. We look at it on the screen. Paul writes, uh, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that, God, uh, that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Uh, authority is an important lesson, of course, the ultimate authority being the Lord, uh, but human beings don't naturally understand that. They have to be taught about authority, and so little children need to be taught to obey their parents and to listen to their teachers when they're at school, and good citizens learn to obey the police, and you know, we, we understand that we learn that there are people higher in authority. When you get, get, get a job, you may not like your boss, but you better learn to respect his or her authority. So that's an important lesson uh, that everyone needs to learn. God is the ultimate authority, and I think all the 
the lessons of authority teach us about ultimately God's ultimate authority. And keep in mind also, Paul's writing to a church here that was persecuted by the Roman government. Okay, This was not a, a government that was easy to live under. And so uh, Paul's saying something that's probably not easy to hear for some of these Christians, but they need to understand that those authorities uh, keep the world from anarchy. Now, there's no perfect authority. There's no perfect government because there's no angels among men. And so... Uh, still yet, we need to respect authority. Christians should uh, respect the government, respect, uh, obey the authority, obey the laws of the land to the best of their ability. Uh, there is one exception to that, and that is if a government uh, makes a law or a rule that tries to, to or usurps God's direct command, uh, then we have to do what Peter and the apostles did their response in Acts chapter 5, where they said, we must obey God rather than man. God's the ultimate authority. He's higher than any human government. And so if a human government makes a rule that transgresses what God has commanded, uh, then we, of course, we have an obligation uh, to be, you know, civil, <laughs> but we, we must respectfully disobey and, and instead yield obedience to the ultimate authority, which is God. So uh, that's where you'll find that lesson on authority in Romans chapter 13. Okay. All right, Jeff, current okay. question here. Yeah, another current <laughs> timely question. What does the Bible say about marijuana use? It is a natural plant created by God. So I notice, first of all, in this question that part of it is a question and the rest of it is a statement. Uh, I think I understand where the viewer is going with this, and I'll, I'll get to both of those things. Uh, to start out with, the Bible does not say anything specifically about the use of marijuana, uh, but it does have a lot to say about being sober-minded and self-controlled. So let's look at a verse about that, and then we'll get back to marijuana use. So this is in Titus 2, 11 and 12. It says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. So there are many things that cause us to lose self-control in this world. We know that. We can make a list right now. And many of those things our substances, things that we put into our body that, that decrease our inhibitions, that change the way that we see things. And one of those things is marijuana. Now, I'll pause here and say that there are some well-documented medical benefits of variations of marijuana for cancer patients who are going through chemotherapy and for people with nonverbal forms of autism. And if it's something that a doctor is prescribing... Uh, then that's something between you or that person and their doctor. And that's understandable. But if that same substance is being used recreationally, is being used as something to rely on, uh, is being used as something to get you through the day, something that you can't get through the day without, which another term for that is addiction, then your self-control and sober mind as a Christian are in danger. And that's something that we need to avoid. Now, to the viewer's point that marijuana is a plant, that a natural plant that was created by God, you're absolutely right. Um, but we have to think about what that means. If I was thinking about natural plants that were created by God, I would also have to add to that list a plant like poison ivy. 
uh, and a plant like deadly nightshade. And we know those two things are not great. They have negative consequences. So the simple fact that something is natural does not mean that it's good for human consumption. And we all know that. Uh, so I, I'll say that, that marijuana absolutely, if used recreationally, affects your sober mind and your self-control. So unless it's being prescribed for a specific reason, I think it's wise for believers to steer clear. All right, good answer. We'll take just a moment and uh, invite you to visit a Church of Christ near you. Churches of Christ provide this program for you and produce it, and we like to mention some of our supporters each week. So let me mention a couple in western Kansas today, and Great Bend and Scott City both, if you live close to one of those areas. Uh, great groups of folks from both church places uh, worship at the Church of Christ. Got the addresses there for you. Uh, drop in and visit them if you're looking for a church home. Uh, maybe you know somebody that attends the Great Bend Church of Christ or the Scott City Church of Christ. Uh, feel free to tell them that, hey, I was watching a program the other day and you were on there and we thank you for providing the program. So add your thanks to ours. Whatever viewing area you're in, it's probably a Church of Christ close to you. Drop in and uh, tell them you heard about them on Know Your Bible. See if we can squeeze one more in here. The viewer wants to know, was Jesus crucified on a cross or a tree? And it says both. And yes, it does say both, depending on what translation you're reading. Uh, those verses and a number of other verses have, uh, he was crucified on a cross, he was crucified on a tree. Uh, died on a tree, taken down from a tree, uh, lots of different things. So very few questions do you have to get into some of the Greek words involved, but this is one that we got to study a little Greek or consult someone that knows some Greek. I don't know any Greek, but uh, I can read Greek scholars. And what they tell is that there are three words that are possible here. Uh, one is cross, uh, the Greek word staros, and it means a instrument of punishment a stake, a piece of wood that you crucify somebody on, literally a cross. Another word is dendra, which means tree, which is a living, growing tree. And the third word is zulan, which means wood, uh, which refers to a piece of wood, a structure of wood. That's the way they used it. Anything that was made out of wood, they sometimes just called it wood. Uh, so those words are what we got to work with. Uh, the tree, the living tree word, is never used in conjunction with the cross. It never says Jesus was crucified on a uh, dendra, a living tree. So that's out. The other two are used, wood and cross, and that's because that's the way they spoke. They would look at a cross, uh, which was an upright beam, a stake, often with a cross beam on it is what the word means. They would look at that and sometimes they'd call it a cross if somebody was crucified on it. Sometimes they'd call it a wood, a piece of wood. So that's the problem. When we read what's translated, uh, sometimes it's translated as tree, which is a bad translation, and sometimes it's translated as cross. Uh, it's very clear from the Bible that Jesus was crucified on a cross, not a living tree or just a post of some sort. Uh, and Matthew 27:40, I believe it is, is what says that. It says Jesus was crucified 
you yourself are the Son of God, come down from the cross. And he uses the word staros, which is an upright stake, often with a cross beam on it. So he was crucified on a cross or a piece of wood, if you prefer. Trivia question, a good what is better than precious ointment? Good wife, name, or friend? And it's a good name is better than precious ointment. Ecclesiastes 7.1. So maintaining a good name is a good thing. We're glad you've been with us today and hope you come back next week. Till then, have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational, and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions, and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.